Welcome to the Manila Rose podcast. My name is Ina Rose, and today we will be investigating the sexualization of Latinas in America. We are all familiar with how vibrant and beautiful Latin culture is. But what happens when the women are exotified and even sexualized over it? How can you embrace your culture and native language when that is hypersexualized as well? My guest speakers today will be elaborating on how Latinas are sexualized, what it's like to experience it, and lack of queer Latinx representation in the media. As I researched this topic, one of the issues that stood out to me was the sexualized narrative of darker-skinned Latinas versus lighter-skinned Latinas and lack of queer Latinx representation in the media. To weigh in on these representations, we have journalist Maria Jimenez Moya. Maria is a journalist, activist, and international relations analyst. She has written articles for the Daily Press, Dig Boston, and Cambridge Chronicle, as well as now working for the New York Times. Recently, she's been featured on That's Rough Podcast, and she's our creative director for the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Maria. No, thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what are the typical stereotypes perpetuated in our media and society that sexualize Latinas? Okay, um, so like I mentioned previously on other interviews, Latina women are seven times more likely to appear nude and partially nude in, in film and TV. And I think this ideology of Latinas being sexy and sexualized like are deeply ingrained in the westernized point of view. And I'm going to quote a very famous author, Bell Hooks. And she wrote this book called uh, Resistance and Desire, Eating the Other. And in this book, she, co she comes up with this concept that the real sexual fantasy is being with the other. Uh, and that is the, the, the other is the non-Western. So... The standard would be white, the other is everything non-white. Um, so is this idea that the real sexual fantasy is being with what is different, being with the other, because it, it comes like being with the minority kind of has these ideologies and connotations of like nastiness and vulgarity of it. Um, and that is what makes it prohibited and more appealing, which causes it to be even more sexualized. Um, so that's why I think Latino women are portrayed very sexual in the media. I also think that is a, a very big misrepresentation of the culture. Latino culture is a very loving culture. We're very warm, we're very loving, we're very flirtatious, we're very um, touchy, you know, like like I said, we, we greet each other with a kiss on the cheeks, regardless if it's the first time I meet you or, or you know, or you're my mother, you know? Uh, it's the same way that you greet each other. So I do think that is, kind of like the culture taken to an, an extreme and being misrepresented as well. Um, and I think that it's, again, like the, the what is different and that's what causes it to be more sexualized. Uh, in studies that there, there's been done where like magazine covers have been analyzed, uh, the times where a Latino woman has been in the cover of a magazine has always been sexual. You know, uh, I mean, most women have, but the Latino women appear less, less clearly than others. And also to point out the Latino women that have appeared on covers of magazines are also the ones that look so um, ethnically ambiguous that you are not able to pinpoint exactly where they're from. A clear example of this would be like Jessica Alva or Demi Lovato, which we all know are of Latinx roots and, you know, but they're still white passing enough 
you know, that like it's not really clear where they're from. Um, so that's also a, a good point that it's always portrayed in the lens of the Westernized ideology. It's never portrayed in a genuine lens, in an authentic lens. Yeah, I like how you brought up the racially ambiguous um, actresses or models that are represented in the media. It's always somebody that is not like the pureness of it. It's always somebody that could be something else. Exactly. It's something that could be something else. Something like, oh, you could be Latina, I guess. You kind of, I can kind of see it, you know? Um, it's never somebody that you have absolutely no doubt where they're from. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. How does the sexualization, exotification of Latinas even affect their speech? Um, I think that, that with speaking, you know, we have, uh, if you are foreign, if you're not born here, um, you're going to have an accent. Uh, like you guys can hear mine. Mine is there. Um, <laughs> it's beautiful, I, though. Thank you. Thank you. And I think that, uh, you know, it's this very, like, love-hate relationship with accents. I, I used to be super insecure of mine when I first moved. Of course, I got bullied in school for it. Um, you know, um, because kids are going to be kids. Uh, and for a while, it made me not want to speak English at all because I was like, oh, my God, they're going to make fun of whatever I say. I mean, to this day, I still get teased about my accent all the time. And like, but now I've learned to embrace it rather than taking it as an offense. Um, but I've definitely been in situations where I try to mask my accent as much as I can. You know, we all have the Caucasian voice. Um, you know, uh, I used to work in a telecommunications uh, for my university. And every single time I'm like, hi, my name is Maria. How can I help you today? You know, you try to really put on like the most white sounding voice you can possibly come up with. Um, you know, and then I've also had times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to make my accent thicker on this instance, you know? Um, so it's definitely affects the way that I speak. I try to, you know, really like gauge my audience and see like, okay, are we going to, it's kind of like, am I going to tone down the Latina today or am I not? Um, am I going to be my authentic self or I'm going to whitewash myself in this situation? It kind of becomes this whole concept that is now being addressed of curly hair not being professional, of curly hair not being seen in professional settings, of people with curly or kinky hair having to straighten their hair in order to fit the professional, you know, the professional world. So same thing is how much am I going to whitewash myself today to fit into this situation? And of course, that affects the way that I'm, that I'm going to speak. Definitely. I like that small point that you kind of insert in there about how much you're going to whitewash yourself today. Right. Like, I feel like that's probably not talked about as much, or at least that I've heard of like how much we have to like dictate ourselves as people of color by whitewashing, like how much do I need to tone it down? So I love that you brought up your own experience about that. Yeah, definitely. I've definitely been like, how, how Latina am I going to be today? How Latina can I be in this space without it putting me at risk? How Latina can I be in this space without compromising something academically, something professional or anything, you know, without, or even my safety, even my own safety, you know, of course, like when I'm around police, I even try not to speak. I don't want them to know I'm Latina. I don't want them to know that I'm not from here, you know? Um, so it's this concept of how much of my true self and my true ethnic self can I tone down, um, mm -hmm and how much of the, the whitewashing and the whiteness I'm going to turn on. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm going to ask you one little tidbit bouncing off of that. So what is it like when you have people that like want you to thicken your accent and then they want you to like call them poppy or they want to hear mommy or like when they use like your own language to like sexualize you? Right. Definitely. I mean, I've definitely been in situations where like I'll be, you know, with a guy and they'll be like, talk dirty to me in Spanish. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> it's definitely super uncomfortable. Like, uh, um, there's one guy when he asked me to, I just started naming foods because <laughs> sure. I was not having it. So, so like, yeah, good luck having an orgasm to hamburguesa, you know, go off. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> so definitely been in those situations. I've been told mommy all the time. I've been cat called mommy, mamacita, you know, all of it. I've been asked by guys called them papi. And like, you know, for me that it's kind of like, it is a little bit of entitlement to me. Like, I don't think that like, I think it's a big cultural barrier there because I think nowadays they quit papi to daddy and we don't really um, like that's a that's a concept that doesn't translate in Latin America. You know, we call our father's papi, but here I've noticed that there's not so many daddy going on like of child to father. It's more dad. I maybe hear daddy amongst the little kids, but the word daddy has been so hyperly sexualized that I really don't hear it uh, as much. So I think that they equate it and that that's a cultural barrier that there is that like, you know, my dad's contact name in my phone is Papi, you know? Um, and that's how we all call our, our fathers, you know? Um, boy will call their fathers Papi, girl will call their fathers Papi. Not so much here, I don't really care that much boys calling their dad, daddy, um, you know? Probably some like, uh, toxic masculinity trait. Um, but I do think that it has in part to do with a big cultural barrier of them equating that to words. And also I think that it's a little bit, um, is it like pretentious and maybe like uh, invalidating the culture a little bit. I think that it does come with like, you know, the, the rightfulness of call me papi, you know? Uh, and it's not even like, are you okay calling me You know, it's not even like a consent and check anything. It's just do it. And I think that just like, it's taking away like the message of the culture and it's obviously like invalidating it. Um, it's ignorant, uh, definitely been in those situations and definitely been in those situations where like, oh, like say this word, uh, oh, the way you say this is so sexy. And I'm just like, again, or you say the same thing if my accent was from Georgia, you know? Um, so yeah, it's not fun when that happens. Uh, but yeah, I've definitely been in those situations. Mm -hmm. And then bouncing off of that, uh, have you found that when Latinas celebrate and embrace their ethnic identity here, it is met with being more hypersexualized? Definitely. Um, definitely. Like, I think that, like, as a Latina, there's this very big, like, pressure to be sexy all the time and to be sexual all the time. And I mean, sure, it, it does sometimes work to our advantage. Like, I like I would be lying if I never said that I use bisexual people and sexuality um, to get something out of somebody, um, you know, whether that, that is, like, the homework or, you know, anything like silly. Um, yeah, I've definitely had times where I've been like, okay, let me use my sex appeal as much as I can um, to get what I want, definitely. And um, and there's places, same thing. Will I turn on a thicker accent to get what I want? Definitely will do it, you know? Like if you 
if you can beat them, you know, you, you'll join them. You'll dig a little bit into it, you know? Um, and like I just said, like, we do have this, like, like the, I think Cosmopolitan wrote a very big article on it. And they were talking about how like Latino women are usually seen as sex kittens. And that's how they like refer to us. Uh, I mean, it was an article uh, to like advocate for like the side of the coin, but they were saying like, it is also portrayed in the media as like sex kittens, as like sexually crazed women uh, in sex all the time. They're sexual all the time. Like how many times have we heard like, oh my God, like Latinas must be crazy in bed or like Latinas are very good lovers or Latinas are really good kissers. But we're all placed in this like sexual connotation, but like I've never heard like, oh, a Latina would make a really good wife. You know, um, so it's kind of like this idea that like, I'm my ethnicity is good enough to fulfill the sexual fantasy uh, but not good enough for something else. Or you might love everything about me except for my ethnicity, or you're only using me for my ethnicity. Um, mm. So, you know, it's either it's either or. <laughs> you know, it's either like, oh, and it's perfect if only you were white. Or, oh my God, like, no, I'm only attracted to you because you're Latina, you know? Um, Mm-hmm. So definitely been in those situations where I've had friends that are like, they feel insecure or they feel like they're not Latina enough because they don't fit what the body or stereotype of a Latina has been constantly per- per- perpetrated in the media. So I've had a conversation with friends that are like, oh, I feel too skinny to be a Latina. And Latinas are thick. I don't have a butt. I don't have boobs. I don't have anything. Like I'm not Latina enough. And I'm, and I'm just like, no, like what a Latina is, is you. It shouldn't be dictated by this checklist that the westernized media has created. Because that checklist was created by white men, mm-hmm. you know? So like, why is a checklist about your ethnicity created by somebody that is not even part of your same ethnic culture? That's a good point right there. Good question. You know, and, and like I always say, again, it is all portrayed through the lens of a westernized culture. Um, so definitely I've seen like having to hypersexualize myself for some things, being hypersexualized for no reason also at all, you know? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've been, you know, growing up, uh, I've been like called like a slut and all of this just because my, the way I was educated was different from a white Western standard of it, you know? Uh, and you know, for, for so long, I felt like there was something wrong with me. You know, I was like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? Like, uh, I'm doing everything that I can. Uh, I am getting the good grades. Um, it's my girl, I'm ambitious, I'm this and that. And I was like, and then I was like, but I still was not enough, you know? And that I realized that it was me, it was them and the, the ignorance that, that it came with it. Um, so yeah, I do think that Latinas do feel like they have to, no, Latinas are, hypersexualized like throughout the media portrayal and through the interpretation that other people have you know um and i and i do hear this again over and over again like like i've talked to you before um we hear this like checklist of men being like oh i want to fuck an asian girl oh i want to fuck a indian girl oh i want to fuck an arab girl i want to fuck a latina girl um you know, so again, this is where we're all reduced to our ethnicities and it's gross. And also like every single ethnicity is a category at Pornhub or at any other point site. But I don't see like white, you know? Mm-hmm. I see ebony, I see Latina, I see Arab, I see Indian, I see this, I see Asian, I see Japanese, blah, blah, blah. but I never see 
white as a category. Why? Because we're exotified, we're fetishized, and we're being reduced to our ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And again, through the white portrayal, like a like a clear example of this, I'm going to use High School Musical. We're all familiar with High School Musical, you know? Vanessa Hudgens is not Latino. <laughs> and she played Gabriela Montes. Vanessa Hudgens is Asian. Really? Yeah. I, I believe she's uh, half Filipino. Oh, hey Yeah, <laughs> she's either half Filipino or half Indonesian. I'm not quite sure, but she's she's not Mexican or Latina at all. She's half Asian, yet she plays a, a Mexican character, you know? So it's like, again, mm-hmm. through the white lens. Yeah, so, that, that racial me, ambiguity. Yeah, to me, you look Latina, so you will be Latina. You know, to me, the white person, the white director, you look Latina, so you would be Latina. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I've gotten castings for things where I've been cast as a Latina and I am not. <laughs> exactly. So, but but for them, it's just like, oh, you look like once, there, therefore you are. Mm-hmm. Everything's portrayed to the white lens. Yeah. Nope, I, mean, I agree with you. Me, I could never get casted as a Latina because I don't look Latina enough. Mm-hmm. You know? Even though I am, like... I am. I was born and raised. You want to see my passport? Like, I don't know what else to, to do with them. You know, I'll mm-hmm. wear a sombrero. Like, you want me to wear a sombrero? Like, you know, <laughs> but this is what a Latina looks like. And this is how a lot of us look like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, how are darker skin Latinas more sexualized than lighter skin Latinas? I think that with darker skin Latinas, the, it, it's going to depend on where we're looking for. Um, so in Mexico, uh, you know, there's a very, very, very low representation of dark skin Latinas, even though they make up for like, um, like 53% of the population, like indigenous uh, Latinas do, only five to 8% of dark skin Latinas make it on the media, like make it, make a media representation. Yeah. The rest is white. And there's barely any white, uh, you know, people in Mexico. If you're driving through Mexico, you will constantly see billboards of uh, white women. Uh, of course, there'll be there'll be Latina white women, but how is it that all of our billboards of our entertainment is portrayed by white women when the majority of the population is dark skin and they only have five to eight percent of representation in the media? Um, so I think that definitely. In Mexico, it would be that darker skin Latina are not as sexualized as as white skin Latinas, as light skin Latinas, because darker skin is seen as lesser than in Mexico. And this comes all the way back to agrarian reform, um, you know, with with the Spanish conquer, with the Spanish conquest and all of that. The agrarian reform was when land was altogether by Spain to um, Caldillos and the Caldillos uh, are who own the land and the, the indigenous are who worked the land. So in Mexico, it is associated that the lighter skin you have, the more Spanish blood in you, therefore you're gonna be from a higher social class. Um, and it's true. So the majority of the wealth in Mexico is held out by white Mexicans. Um, so for example, a darker skin Latino would make less than half of what a lighter skin Latino would make. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so, that is, wow, look at that discrepancy. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. So I would say, like, if we're looking at it in Mexico, definitely the I think that the darker skinned Latinas are are seen as the lesser than, are seen as the other. You know, they're going to be portrayed in the media as the the help and the service people, versus the light skinned Latinas are always going to be the main character. Uh, when it comes to translating that into the U.S., I don't think we see that as much because Latinas in the media are not represented as white. Like I said, I would never be casted um, to play a Latina role. Uh, and I do think that uh, darker skilled Latinas are more sexualized in the United States than lighter skilled Latinas. Uh, and, but again, we need to look at what type of roles they're playing in TV. Uh, you know, they're gonna be, there's gonna be very few times where they're gonna have the lead role um, and things like that. I do think that lighter darker skilled Latinas are more sexualized and they do have like a like a higher maybe um, pressure to act the way a Latina is, is supposed to act. Mm-hmm. That, what do you call it? That Western gaze, it seems, dictates a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel there's lack of queer Latinx representation in our media? Definitely. I think that, uh, well, there's lack of queer representation period. Um, there needs to be a lot more. I do think that shows are trying to get a little bit better at it. Uh, like the new reboot of Charm, I know it's been like super controversial, um, but the cast is all uh, Latinas, Afro-Latina. One is Latina, the other one's Afro-Latina, and the other one's Black, uh, which was huge that like the main leads were like, and one of the leads is gay. Um, so that was like great, you know? the fact that she was portrayed as a gay character. But I do think that there needs to be a lot more representation. The thing about like Latinx culture and um, and sexuality is that in Latin America, especially in Mexico, the Catholic church holds, holds such a big power um, and such a big influence that it's been a little bit harder uh, for them to integrate a society, which versus I feel like the US has been a little bit better at doing that. So I think that that US is actually doing a way better job at integrating queer representation in the media than is any place in Latin America. Yeah, and that's quite surprising to hear that we're actually doing better. Yeah, exactly. I love that you pointed that out though. Um, What do you think needs to happen to change the sexualized narrative of Latinas and what can allies do to help? Well, like I said, it has to be there has to be a shift in the Western gaze. You know, there has to be a shift of like, not portraying what a Latina should look like, but portraying what a Latina is and what a Latina actually looks like. Like casting Latino people to play Latino roles. That's that's number one, you know? Um, I would say that having a genuine understanding of the culture, like I think Coco was amazing. It was great. I think it got the culture perfectly spot on. I was like mind blown by this. I think that the new one that's coming up and uh, I think I believe it's called Encanto, which portrays Colombian culture. Disney is also producing it. I think that's gonna be huge as well. I think they're gonna do a good representation of it. I can't watch it, so I can't say also I'm not Colombian. But if we are expecting the same level of accuracy as they did with Coco, I would expect them to follow that with their following movie. Um, so, you know, actually casting Latinas to play that role, um, having in mind, like, do not culturally appropriate, do not 
represent Latinas how you think they should be represented, represent them as they actually are. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that that's going to make a big change, you know, like don't, don't hypersexualize them. Um, you know, nobody likes that. No, no woman really, really likes that. Like I've, of course I've been told like, oh, why are you so angry about it? Like people are calling you hot. You should be happy about that. Uh, and I'm like, I mean, sure, like I'm flattered, but like they're not calling me hot for me. They're calling me hot because of my race and ethnicity. Um, so that's like, takes away from it. It makes it invalid. So more equal representation, more equal opportunity, education, as I mentioned, and also um, having conversations, you know, like if there is going to be a Latino character represented, why don't you bring a Latino person to talk about the perspective about the character and how the character should be, act, behave, rather than having, okay, how are you, how are you going to tell me that this white person is going to write an episode about Mexican Christmas, for example? Like, no. <laughs> Uh, you know, or, okay, I'm tired of Cinco de Mayo. I'm so tired of it. Cinco de Mayo does not exist. It is not a thing. It is a capitalist <laughs> holiday. That's what's going to make it because the most beer that is consumed in the United States is in El Cinco de Mayo. More than in 4th of July and more than in St. Patrick's Day. Number two is in St. Patrick's Day. Wow. And the meaning has been completely distorted. Cinco de Mayo started as a Chicano movement. A Chicano is a person that is of Mexican parents born in the United States. So Cinco de Mayo started as a Chicano woman because the Chicanos felt like they were not being uh, like loved from either Mexico or the United States. They were this in-betweeners, you know, they were not Mexican enough, but not Latino enough. I mean, Mexican enough, but not American enough. Um, so they started to protest about the representation and the rejection from both sides of the border. So they said, we should do uh, a holiday to celebrate Chicano culture. Cinco de Mayo was created. And that meaning has been completely distorted. So they picked Cinco de Mayo because Cinco de Mayo was La Batalla de Puebla, which was a battle that was fought in Mexico against the French, where the Mexicans won besides having all the... Um, like all the chances of losing. It was more likely they were going to lose because they had no weapons, they had no men. But, you know, the underdog, they won. Uh, but now people think that El Cinco de Mayo is like holiday and that it's our Independence Day and all that. No, it's not. We don't celebrate it. I did not know Cinco de Mayo was a thing until I moved here and people were asking me what was I going to do. And I'm like, I don't know, watch Netflix and go to bed early. Like, what do you want me to do? Um, so Cinco de Mayo has been completely distorted. So like I said, like, stop culture of appreciation. Like, it's great. I'm, I'm so happy that they went to to celebrate Mexican culture and include their own traditions, but like, Cinco de Mayo doesn't even exist, <laughs> you know? It's not a thing, not a thing. It is, I, I still think that it's a capitalist holiday, you know, um, because like I said, most beer uh, in the United States is consumed in the holiday, which is impressive, even more than 4th of July. Yeah, that's pretty impressive then, especially for Americans. <laughs> it is a holiday where most beer is consumed. Wow, I can see why they would want to keep perpetrating it, but that's, yeah, it's, wow, I'm really glad you brought that up because I did not know that. And now that I know that, I'm definitely going to be like, why are we doing this? <laughs> All the time. I'm like, I'm like, what? 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 Do you guys, and I'll be like, do you guys even know what Tecno Mayo is? And they're like, yeah, it's your independence. And I'm like, no, that's not my independence. <laughs> like, you know, they're just celebrating to celebrate. And like I said, like, it's fine. Like, I'm glad that 
music and culture is being recognized and celebrated, but like you know, celebrated for the right reasons in the right way. Mexico right. has given a lot to the US. And I think that if you're gonna celebrate Mexico and the culture, like celebrate it for the good things that that it's done for the US, you know? Um mm-hmm. and like honor it as such, but don't perpetrate something that isn't true. So definitely mm-hmm. like no cultural appropriation, like having a good lens of what things are like, um, understanding the culture better, understanding, well, not just Mexican culture, but Latinx culture as a whole. Um, and just education. I, I, I really do believe that, you know, education changes the power to call everything. Like I know all of this because I've been researching it for years. Uh, and it is something that I'm passionate about. And I would never judge somebody for not being passionate about it. Like I am. Um, but like educate yourself and just, you know, ask, don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, we all have Google on our phones. It takes one quick Google search uh, and that will fix all the problems. Um, so yeah, just equal representation, equal education and stop culture appropriating. And that would help a lot with how Latinos are represented in the media. Those are all great points. And I agree with you. It's super easy to, I feel like there's so many resources now that are trying to educate people on race. So it's a quick Google search. <laughs> Yeah, like I always say, like, it's it's crazy. Like, I don't know, how many times do we, like, pull up our phones to, like, Google, like, nearest gas station with me, <laughs> you know? Or, like, to Google, like, how many pounds are in an ounce? Or how many milligrams are in an ounce? I don't even know how they're compatible. But, you know, if we use it to Google some things like that, you could also, like, Google, like, what is Cinco de Mayo, <laughs> you know? Um, so it takes the same amount of effort. Yeah. I agree with you. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining us again. We always love having you. Thank you so much for having me and for giving me a platform to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much and take care. You too. Due to the sexualized perceptions of Latinas in America, more often than not, Latinas are having interactions focused on their sexuality. To share her experiences with this, we have Cassandra. She is a bartender, performer, and active volunteer for political campaigns. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cassandra. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I was really excited to hear that this is a series that's starting. Uh, It sounds like a lot of really important conversations are happening, and I'm really glad to be involved. Yeah, awesome. It's such a great opportunity to have you on the podcast. So thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. All right. So at what age was your first interaction where you realized you were being sexualized based on your race? I think the first time that I realized that that was what was happening um, wasn't until I was like in middle school and saying that out loud, I realized how early that is, but like, because I had other experiences related to my race earlier than that. Um, But I didn't actually find out about my heritage until I was in middle school. So then after that pieces kind of started clicking in place uh, and when people found out, they made a lot of comments like, uh, oh, that's why you have such great hips, or oh, I could tell by those beautiful black eyes, stuff like that. Um, and it happened from people a lot older than me, too. Oh, and that's uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, on top of just being a female presenting person that exists in the world and all the sexualization that comes with that. And then to have that racial component, it was, it was a really challenging time. Yeah. That sounds very challenging. Wow. Um, What is it like living in a society that hyper-sexualizes your ethnicity? 
I've been thinking about this and it's hard to say what it's like because I've not really known anything else. Uh, I think one of the most jarring things for me in recent years has been when I'm relating an experience that I've had to someone who shares either my heritage or is, you know, of another like minority, like another woman of color. When we relate to something and then maybe like a white coworker, a white friend will be like, oh my God, that happens. And then just hearing that other people don't experience life that way was so weird and it makes me like almost mourn something that I never actually really got um it it's very dehumanizing I feel like I am only one thing to everyone that doesn't immediately perceive me as something like greater if that makes sense mm-hmm. like yeah people people see me and they're like sexual objects and look at she's latin so that comes with its own set of preconceived notions that are really really tough to live with yeah it it almost makes you it almost makes you sometimes i think forget that you are a person when you're treated that way for so long it's like oh well this is just what's expected of me Mm -hmm. and it's way easier to just like live like that than it is to constantly struggle against those ideas yeah and do you think like the social conditioning of just being passive about it plays into the role of why you let those things go oh for sure uh even in my like workplace um you know as i've been through several workplaces there is this very like oh, everything's all in good fun sort of mentality, no matter where you go. Um, I'm not even talking about any place specific, but it's just like this idea that everything that happens is good-natured fun. And if you say, hey, that makes me uncomfortable, then you're creating a problem. And you don't want to be a problem because you want to be like one of the good ones, which is another thing that I hear all the time and hate so much. (laughs) Hmm. A lot of women of color are sick of hearing that they're like one of the good ones. Could you elaborate on that term, the good ones, like for people that haven't had that call to them? Yeah, um, I guess the best way to explain it would be to give an example. Um, I was helping some customers at one of my workplaces and I must have passed as white to them. Um, and there was something on the news about immigration policy or it, it was something like that. And these people basically just started talking about how Mexicans are ruining this country. And I was like, I'm Mexican. I don't know the exact words that I used because I was so floored, but I couldn't just like say nothing. I, I was so overwhelmed in that moment. And then they were like, oh, but you're not like that. And just those words alone say so much about what they think of my people and other cultures that aren't just like 
white. <laughs> right. Um, it, You're not like the more other brown people. people. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like what they think brown people are like. Um, and what they're telling me is that they think that brown people are bad and that I'm not bad. So I'm not really that brown. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's so bizarre to hear those words come out of people's mouths and like, oh, this is like really what they think. Yeah, that's kind of surreal to hear that and to experience that. Ugh. How has your ethnicity being hypersexualized affected, uh, affected dating and relationships for you? It definitely affected the way that I saw myself because every partner, almost every partner that I have had since I was, you know, just starting to like date people in middle school, you know, um, always had this like, idea of how hot Latin women are Um, and there was in particular a couple of people who fetishized my ethnic ambiguity they could tell I wasn't white but they couldn't tell what I was and they liked that they didn't know and that it was hard to tell and all these other things and it it when your worth from such an early age comes from how valuable you are as a sexual object and you start getting compliments that reinforce that, you begin to build a false identity around it. Um, I was flattered by people giving me compliments like that um, because it felt good to feel wanted and that positive reinforcement was better than the negative reinforcement of people not liking me because I'm, you know, whatever minority (laughs) they think I might be. Um, So there was a long period of time, and I think I'm really only now kind of starting to unpack that, where I built part of my identity around being sexualized specifically in this way because it was beneficial for me. Um, and that really sucks to think about. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like how you elaborated on that because it's almost like you have to play the game. It sounds like yeah. you kind of have to play their racial ambiguity game because you get treated better. Oh, 100%. I remember when I was younger, um, I spent a lot more time out in the sun <laughs> and it was a little easier to tell that uh, I'm not totally white. And I remember going to auditions and having casting agents and things like that basically tell me how great it was that I could play any race. And at the time I'm so young and I'm just excited to, you know, maybe be getting gigs. So I'm thinking how cool that is and not realizing how damaging that is and how weird um so so right from the get-go it's like oh congratulations you are questionable and that is a really weird thing to think about yourself <laughs> and it's yeah. a really weird thing to be proud yeah absolutely i can i can relate to that on so many levels for sure 
Um, have you had experiences where people thought you were white then realized you were Latina and then changed their treatment of you? Yeah, and that kind of goes back to the one of the good ones thing. Um, because most of the time when something like that happens, people get, they do one of two things. They get embarrassed and pretend like that's not what they meant. Or they do the, you know, one of the good ones things. Um, I haven't had anyone be ballsy enough to treat me poorly after they found out. Um, but I think that's only because I started speaking up as an adult who was actually going to challenge them. Because there have definitely been times just growing up where people knew or suspected that I might not be white and it was pretty obvious that they didn't want me around um, or that they didn't think that I was good enough to be around them, um, especially like growing up in school, a lot of very wealthy, mostly white kids. Um, and there were all these rumors going around that I was adopted. And this was before I found out my heritage um, because you know I was, I looked so different. Uh, and I, I think looking back, there were a lot of kids and a lot of parents who were like iffy about me because I didn't look quite right. Uh, and then when I found out, I was very open about it. Um, and people were just kind of like, yeah, whatever. But I think there was this kind of sense of like, oh, that makes sense now. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely. It's always been very very apparent that people can tell and they treat me differently or they can't tell and then they are either embarrassed or they just pretend that nothing is wrong when clearly I've offended them in some way. <laughs> offended them by being ballsy enough to say something. Yeah, exactly. Do you think it would be different if you were like an easier target or if you were more impressionable? Do you think people would be more bold to like treat you different in that way? Um, yeah. Yeah, I do. I think I've developed a really thick skin when it comes to certain things and almost like a, I don't want to say defensive because that kind of weakens my position, but like, I've developed almost a bravado of like, are you going to say something? <laughs> um, and I've definitely seen people um, like start to try to poke fun at my ethnicity. And then if I don't go along with it, some of them press forward, but usually they back off. And I think that if I were less abrasive, about you know letting them know what's up they would just continue because that's what happened when i was younger um it was way easier to just go along with a joke because that's a great way to protect yourself that's true it's almost <laughs> so like it's, survival mode yeah um so that's where it gets complicated because would some interactions be easier for me maybe if i were more passive Maybe, but I think it might be harder to live with myself. 
That's true. You got to be true to yourself. Yeah. Which is hard. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What do you think needs to happen in order for Latinx to stop being hypersexualized in our society? And what can allies do to help? I think that one of the things that would really help would be more representation in media and more honest representation in media because right now there are basically like three ways that Latinas are portrayed. Either we're like hypersexualized, you know, the height of fantasy, or we don't speak English and we are like portrayed in custodial roles, like, oh, okay, it's the Mexican maid. Um, or we're like very angry and loud and brash. And like, those are like the three main ways you'll ever see a Latina portrayed in media. So we think that if we had just more representation of this is a Latinx person who exists as a human being like the rest of these characters do, um, that would go a long way in helping to be like, hey, by the way, that's a person. <laughs> um, and as far as allies go, I think just being there for your friends, especially women of color, um, when you see somebody being gross to us, we can handle ourselves, but it's a whole lot better if there are more people behind you being like, hey, that's, that's messed up. Or especially if your uh, Latinx friends aren't in the room and you hear somebody say something like that, that's the best time to call them out because I think it's easier to be brave when you have me in the room and it's way easier to like go along with whatever your friends are saying when I'm not in the room because you're uncomfortable calling it out but like I'm uncomfortable calling it out too and it would make my life a lot easier if you started there so that's one thing um and then I think too just calling out for more representation of people that are women of color so like when I, as a Latina, ask for more representation in media, that goes, that goes a long way. But hearing that our white allies also want to see more people that look like me, that goes even farther. So ask your friends what they think you can do and start with the people that are closest to you. That's really good advice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I love that. Um, cool. My fa One of my favorite an analogy analogies are look in the room, who's missing from the room, get those people in the room. So I, I really like what you said about trying to be inclusive yes. of everybody and asking your friends, start there, start with the people who are willing to educate you. So that's really powerful. Good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, take care. Thus, Latinas in America are often exotified to the point of not feeling Latina enough if they do not fit the image of the vociferous, spicy Latina that our media perpetuates. Knowing what we know now, we have the opportunity to change that. Because nobody's ethnicity should be based solely on how much you fit the stereotype. Now, we've covered some heavy content today. 
and mental health is important no matter who you are or where you're at in life. So before rolling credits, there'll be mental health resources to call or text. Thank you for watching the Manila Rose podcast. Tune in for our next episode discussing the sexualization of Asian women in America with Kelly Esto Capio and Kia Yang. And remember, it's not sexy, it's racist. Take care.